chapter 3 this morning. Judges chapter 3. And I just want to bring a few, uh, a, few, a few thoughts this morning of what God has led in my heart, especially over the last, this last week. Uh, for those of you that are saved uh, and, and that, that pray, uh, my wife and I value your prayers at this, at this moment in time. Uh, we're, we've had a crossroads in our life where we were involved with Coaching for Christ and that part of the ministry, not Coaching for Christ ministry itself, but the part of the ministry that we were involved in was uh, the running of Unite Gym. That has now closed due to the building being sold. Uh, Joe and I felt it was time to uh, step down. We had prayed about it and we'd said, Lord, if you keep the building open, uh, we'll stay for as long as you keep the building open. But when you close it, we'll know that it's time to go. And God, uh, when you look throughout your life, uh, you can see God's hand and everything. And his timing is just perfect, uh, especially now with, with Ellie Joe being born. And um, so we ask for your prayers to see what's next in our lives. Judges uh, chapter 3 this morning. Uh, let me just give you the background to, judge, to, to where we're at. Uh, the children of Israel were now in the promised land uh, about 25 years. If, if these facts are wrong, Ian, I apologize. Uh, <laughs> so the children of Israel were now in the land for about 25 years. They're in the promised land. They'd, uh, they'd came under the, the, the leadership of, of Joshua into the land. Uh, they'd, go, they'd gone through the conquest of capturing the land. They've captured the land, and it took approximately 20-odd uh, years, but they're now in about 25 years at this point. Uh, Joshua had died at the age of uh, 110 uh, and so there's no leader but really and truthfully God didn't expect there to be a leader because they're in the promised land and they were given their inheritance and it was up to them to take possession of their inheritance. Nine and a half tribes done part of that, part of it. I say part of it because they didn't drive out all of the enemy. But nine and a half tribes did. Uh, you'll say, Ali, why is there nine and a half tribes? There's, tw- there's 12 tribes. Well, two and a half tribes, they didn't want into the promised land. That's the tribe of Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh. And they stayed east of the Jordan. The children of Israel had failed to drive out all of the Canaanites. They were now coexisting with them in the land. And despite God promising them that they would occupy the, the whole land, they only occupied a small portion of the land. And in fact, they never occupied uh, all of the promised land, even under Saul, even under uh, David, uh, and even under Solomon. They never, and to this day, still have never occupied all of the promised land. But this is where we now find ourselves this morning. Uh, The book of Judges spans across a a time period of about three and a half to four hundred years. You'll find uh, that during this period of time, uh, the book of Ruth, uh, the story of Ruth happens. And the first seven chapters of of 1 Samuel uh, are during this time period. There are 14 judges in total. Uh, That's if you put Eli and Samuel uh, in among them. And yes, my my baby likes to cry when, when I'm talking too much because... She likes to talk all the time. So uh, pay no attention to her. This period of the Judges, this book of the Judges, it's it's not a book that you'll really turn to if you want to bring some comfort in your life. 
uh, and you're saying, well, Ali, as a visiting speaker, why are you bringing me to judges this morning? Well, really and truthfully, uh, as, as I study uh, through the word, um, and if I'm asked to speak, I'll speak of what I'm studying on. And this just happens to fall at Joshua chapter three, or Judges chapter 3 this morning. But it's a period of, of, of dark, the darkest and saddest of all periods as a, as a nation. Uh, and really and truthfully, this period should have been the, the start of the most rewarding time as a nation. Because now they're receiving the part of the Abrahamic covenant that they never had possessed before. And that was the land. Despite the victorious living through the leadership of Joshua, despite uh, despite them affirming with Joshua that they would serve the Lord, despite the warnings from God to heed his word and obey his command, the nation of Israel got lax. They couldn't be bothered to finish the task by not expelling all of the Canaanites out of the land. They soon forgot to exalt God and keep him first in their lives. And because they were now in the land and there was no real threat that they took uh, from the Canaanites, they now thought that they were exempt from God's warning that their enemy would be snares and traps under them, scourges in their sides, thorns in their eyes, and ultimately that they would perish from off the good land that they were now in. What about us this morning? Have we got lax in our service towards God? Have you, have I as individuals got lax in our service for God? Are we slack concerning our attitude toward those outside of Christ this morning? Book of Judges, you'll see a pattern that's repeated seven times. It's a pattern or a cycle that goes uh, like this. There is sin in the lives of the Israelites. Next, God brings judgment upon the Israelites. And so the Israelites repent. God sends a judge. uh, And through the judge, God brings deliverance. uh, And then there's a period of peace. Look at verse 5 with me, please. Verse 5 of uh, Judges chapter 3. And and, and what I tend to do is I tend to take it uh, verse by verse uh, at the majority of the time when I'm speaking. The children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Instead of expelling the Canaanites, uh, you'll read there that there's Hittites and Amorites and Perizzites and Hivites and Jebusites, uh, but we just collectively call them the Canaanites. It was the land of Canaan, uh, and we just collectively call them uh, the Canaanites. But instead of expelling the Canaanites, the Israelites inhabited with them. Now there's nothing wrong with living your life as a Christian among uh, people who aren't saved. After all, uh, for many of us, if if not all of us, at some point of the day, we are in the company of unbelievers. There are unsaved living in our towns and our uh, neighborhoods. There are unsaved in our workplace. Uh, They are unsaved in our friendship circles. They are unsaved in our families. And quite possibly, they are unsaved sitting in a row beside you this morning. The problem is not living with them. The problem is where our attention is focused. Verse 6. And they, that's the Israelites, took their daughters to be their wives. 
and give their daughters to their sons and serve their gods. You see, instead of exalting God, the Israelites got interested in the Canaanite ways, which were not God's ways. My mother once told me, son, it's a lot easier to be pulled off the table than it is to pull someone up onto it. The Israelites lost sight of God in their lives. They started to see the attraction in the forbidden fruit. They took their eyes off God and they looked around at all our gods. And soon they found themselves. Is that not where we're at this morning? And I'm saying this as, as, as a collection. Uh, I'm not pinpointing anybody out. I'm saying this as, as, as we see uh, the, the Christian life today. The Christian life and, and so many of the people that uh, profess the name of Jesus They're looking around, instead of keeping their eyes fixed on God, they're looking around and they're fighting all their gods and ultimately they're fighting themselves. And this God of self, you have to have a conversation. You just have to have a conversation with someone these days about something in either your life or somebody else's life. Uh, And the person with whom you're having the conversation with, they, they nearly always turn it back on themselves. And sometimes, a majority of times, they don't even realize that they're doing it. And folks, sometimes this morning, sometimes in life, you just have to realize it's not about you. It's not about me. Verse 7. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of, of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God and served Balaam and the groves. The Israelites thought they were exempt from the warnings of God. And so instead, the Israelites got involved with the Canaanites. The Bible tells us not to do this. Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount that we are the light of the world. In fact, Jesus said in John 8 and 12 that I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So if Jesus is the light and we are of his followers and he abides in us, then the Sermon on the Mount applies. Verse 16 of chapter 5, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We are to be in the world but not of it. Is that not what Jesus prayed for us in John 17? Father, don't take them out of the world keep them from evil. Why did Jesus pray this prayer? Surely it, 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 it would be easier uh, the moment that we get saved, that, that we get raptured out of this world into God's presence and it would be so much better for us. So much better for us if that were true. But what about those people that aren't saved? You see, that's why Peter said, The Lord's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter 3.9 How can they come to repentance if the light is out? Now don't get me wrong. Don't misunderstand me, folks. That day will come. The rapture will will happen. The Lord will descend with a shout. The call of the archangel and the trump of God. And not long after that, the Antichrist will come on the scene. And then God will send them strong delusion. Those that have missed their opportunity. 
that they'll believe the lie, the lie being the Antichrist. Because the light will have gone out. <clears throat> That's why Peter continues on in chapter 3, verse 14. He says that we are to be diligent that we may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. How did God spread the news of faith in the Old Testament? Well, quite simply, he called a nation through Abraham and he promised them a blessing. He promised them a blessing that if they would obey him, they would be blessed. And he also promised them a cursing that if they disobeyed him, they would be cursed. You read all about this in Deuteronomy chapter 28. But unfortunately, what we see here is, in this verse, that the Israelites chose to disobey God rather than to obey him. And so the light did go out. That was great timing. My wife's just away out. I'm going to give a great illustration. Men, anybody in around my age, uh, early 40s, you're married in your 20s, you'll understand this. See, when we first got married and the house that we were living in, uh, you women had all these candles. Well, my wife did anyway. She had these candles and, and uh, she put them all around the fireplace. And, but you weren't allowed to light them. And... Uh, <laughs> When we first got married, I would let the old wee candle, and she'd come home from the salon. She'd go, "What are you doing with that candle? That's not that's not to be lit." I go, "Joe, with their candles, that's what the the purpose of them." Uh, but it's great now that these new candles and these new candles are are, are in glass jars and, and they're all scented, and you're allowed to light them. And sort of the novelty's gone now, so Joe lights them herself. Uh, but I watch Joe lighten them, and every so often she'll go over to them and, and she'll lift the jar uh, and she'll pour out the wax into the bin. And it just reminded me this morning, uh, uh, during the week actually, when I was thinking about that, that it's a wee bit like the Christians. And it's a wee bit like the children of Israel here. And You see, the idea of a candle, now I'm not a candle maker, but if you uh, live in Noma, there's, there's a place called the American Folk Park. You should go to it and you get to make candles. And uh, they show you how to make them. But this wick, anyway, this wick goes down through the wax. Uh, and really and truthfully, it's the wick that gives the light. But the wick has to stand out from the wax. It has to be separate. Because if the wick is inside the wax, you can't really light the candle. Because the wax is covering the wick. And so very carefully, Joe would pour out this buildup of, of liquid wax out into the bin. Why? Because it would start to choke the flame. And so the candle for what is purpose is now useless. And really and truthfully, is that not what the children of Israel were doing? They were supposed to be separate. But they didn't because they amalgamated uh, with, the, with the Canaanites and they started to, to, to live with them and they started to serve their gods and and. and you look into the history of the Canaanites, and I'm not going to tell you any of that this morning because it's really and truthfully disturbing what they did with this god Balaam and Ashtart or Ashtoreth. 
And uh, really and truthfully, go home and study that. It's not something that the children of God should have been involved in. And, and, and it reminds me this morning that we're to be separate. If we're to be effective, if we're to, if we're to, uh, uh, to, to shine bright, then we're to be separate. And we're to stand apart from the rest. We've went through the sin cycle. The first part of it. Verse 8 brings the judgment. Therefore the anger, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he sold them into the hand. Now this man's name is repeated four times. I'm going to say it once. And then I'm going to refer to him as the king of uh, Mesopotamia. <laughs> Kushan Rishathim. You can understand why I'm not going to repeat that name again. He's the king of Mesopotamia, and the children of Israel served the king of Mesopotamia eight years. God handed over control of their lives to their sin. It's a very dangerous place for a Christian to be. Romans 1 tells us that when we sin willfully, God steps back from his control over us just a little. If we don't pay attention, he he takes a further step back a little more. Finally, when we just live in our sin and we don't really care uh, about God and and what the Bible says, Romans 1 tells us that he gives us over to a reprobate mind. Meaning that we become morally depraved, uh, we've no principalities, uh, we've no, sorry, we've no principles, and basically we're just bad in its truest sense. So verse 8 brings judgment. Verse 9 uh, brings repentance. The, sin cycle, the, the, the cycle was sin, judgment, repentance. God sends the judge, there's deliverance, and there's peace. Verse 9 brings repentance and the need for a judge. Verse 9 says, And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel who delivered them, Othniel, the son of Kenes. Caleb's younger brother. It's very interesting that that, the Bible, the Holy Spirit puts that in there. Caleb's younger brother. The name of that uh, uh, king uh, from Mesopotamia is mentioned four times in this uh, small passage that I'm reading this morning. Uh, From from, uh, verses uh, 9 uh, till 10, actually. Uh, verse 8 to 10, sorry. So four times in two, two verses. Caleb is mentioned. And then later on, Othniel. Something happens. Him. Why did I say that? Well, four times this king is mentioned. So the Bible wants us to realize that there's an enemy. And really and truthfully, the Bible also wants us to realize that as Christians, we, we, we fight with our flesh every day. We don't have sinless perfection. That'll not happen until we're in glory. And so we fight with our sin every day, whatever that may be. And you know what it is if you ask yourself. You know what it is. In fact, without even asking yourself. 
Maybe it's just an attitude of heart this morning. Is that what it all boils down to? An attitude of heart? We fail to do what God has asked us to do. Drive out the enemy. Drive out the sin in our lives. And we're not to sell them willfully. Caleb was mentioned. And it's very, uh, it's very easy to understand why Caleb was mentioned. Caleb was mentioned uh, as uh, Othniel's uh, either uncle or older brother. I'm not 100% sure, to be honest with you. In Judges, he's his uncle. Uh, in Joshua, he's his uncle. And in Judges, he's his uh, elder brother. Again, that's not a question for Ian uh, on the way out. But uh, Othniel is mentioned. And he's Caleb's, he's, he's some relation of Caleb. And why I mentioned, why the Holy Spirit puts that in there is because, folks, you don't know who you're influ- influencing in your life. Uh, me as an uncle, now as a father. But my, my wee nephew, Luke, apparently always wanted to be like me. Don't know why. Maybe because... Uh, when I had hair, uh, uh, when I was younger, it was cool. I don't really know. But he wanted to be like me, and he always looked up to me. And I didn't actually realize this until recently. So, folks, if you're an uncle, if you're an aunt, obviously you're a mother and father. If you're a mother and father, you have influence over those in your life. You have influence over your children. But if you're even in a position of influence, if you're a teacher, if you're in, in, in some way where there's children present, you are an influence. Always remember that. Always remember that. God wants you to know that this morning. And so that's why Caleb is mentioned. Back to verse 9. In in, in spite of the previous four verses, we see God's love that he has for his nation. And it reminds me this morning of God's love and grace in us, in our lives. There's always forgiveness. While we live in this day of grace, there's always forgiveness. Verse 10 says, And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, that's Othniel, and he judged Israel, and he went out to war. And the Lord delivered uh, the king of Mesopotamia into his hand, and his hand prevailed against that king. Othniel was spirit filled. And really and truthfully, that's the remedy this morning. That is the remedy uh, for helping us to be separate. Helping us to be in the world, but not of the world. We must be spirit-filled. Verse 11 says, gives us uh, the peace. Uh, the land had rest for 40 years, and Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. See, there was rest. So the remedy this morning for compromise, because that's what this passage is all about is being filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. As the church, the practice needs to be under control of the Holy Spirit. The praise needs to be under control of the Holy Spirit. The prayer needs to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. The preaching must be under the control of the Holy Spirit. And what about the believer, the individual? Dr. Ken Humphreys was uh, my mentor. And I remember him saying this 
uh, about the believer being under the control of the Spirit. He says, his throng must be under the control of the Holy Spirit. That's the people who you live with your daily life. The Bible tells us not to be unequally yoked. This is where the children of Israel failed. They became unequally yoked. And unfortunately, we cannot put ourselves in a wee bubble and, and all of us who are saved this morning uh, go and live in, in, in some uh, enclosure and points pass and basically would, would be seen as a cult. And so we must live uh, our lives among the unsaved because we're to reach them. And so our throng, our company must be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Our tread, our walk must be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Our thoughts must be under the control of the Holy Spirit. That's a difficult one. That is a difficult one. Just yesterday, and I'm totally transparent, just yesterday, we were in Korean, uh, come out of the, it's a one-way system in Tesco's in Korean, and I come out of the parking space I was in and followed the system, the one-way system, but some boy come out of his space and turned head on at me and then gave me, well, the window was closed so I don't really know what he was giving me, but ha. I just lost it for a wee split second. I said, it's a one-way system. But he was away on by that stage. Joe says to me, Ali, our thoughts must be under control of the Holy Spirit. It's difficult. It's so difficult. So not only should our company, our throng, our, our trade, how we walk, Bible says, or the, the, hymn, the hymn writer says, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. So the company that we keep, how we live our life, how we walk in our daily walk with Christ must be under control of the Holy Spirit. Our thoughts, the difficult one, the one that nobody else sees. Our time. Our thoughts and our times closely linked. Your thoughts can consume your time with things that aren't under the control of the Holy Spirit. That's between you and God. That's not between you and your pastor. In fact, wives, that's not between you and your husband. Husband, that's not between you and your wives. It's not between you and your mother and father. It's between you and God. Our throne the company we keep, how we walk, our thoughts, our time. What about our talents? What about our talents? Is our talents to be used for God? My dad plays the guitar and uh, as a kid I always wanted to be able to uh, play the guitar like him. Uh, on, on a Saturday morning he used to... Uh, hook up the electric guitar and just his fingers went up and down the fretboard and I used to listen to it and I thought, boy, that'd be a great time. And then, as you get older, uh, you start listening to different music and 
uh, well, my band was Bon Jovi. I, I liked them, and, and Richie Sambori was the, the lead guitarist there. And I always thought, boy, I'd love to be fit to play like that. And I play the guitar now, not very well, but I play it. Uh, I'm not like my father. But that's just a talent. Uh, and it's a talent that I don't have. But I have all our talents. And are they under the control of the Holy Spirit? Your talents, your time, and your thoughts are all closely linked together. Just remember that. And they must be under the control of the Holy Spirit. And that is really the remedy. Othniel, uh, it says he died. But they had rest for 40 years after that. The children of Israel rest for 40 years. And that was because Othniel was filled with the Holy Spirit. Folks, are we filled with the Holy Spirit? Have we sort of lost our connection with God? Are we, are we, are we failing to, to drive out the sin in our lives? Let me close with this wee illustration. Uh, it's, it's an illustration about a life-saving station, and I'm sure you may have heard of it before, but think of it in two separate things. Think of it as what it is. Think of it as it's, it's a picture of the church, but think of it as an individual yourself. And put yourself as the life-saving station. On a dangerous coast, where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat. But a few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea, and with no thought for themselves, went out day and night tirelessly, searching for the lost. Some of those who were saved, uh, and various others in the surrounding area, wanted to become associated with the station, give of their time and their money and the effort in support of its work. New boats were bought, and new crews trained, the little life-saving station grew. Some members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped. They felt uh, that a more comfortable place should be provided as the first point uh, for those who were saved from the sea. They replaced the emergency stretchers with beds and they put better furniture in the enlarged building. Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members. They decorated it beautifully and they furnished it exquisitely because they used it as some sort of a club. Fewer members are now interested in going out to sea on life-saving missions, so they hired lifeboat crews to do the work. The life-saving motto still prevailed in the club's decorations and there was a miniature lifeboat in the room where the club's initiations were held. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast and the hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, and half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick. Some of them were foreigners. The beautiful new club was in chaos. So the property committee immediately had Shaw House built onto the side of the club, where victims of shipwrecks could be cleaned up before coming inside. The next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities since they were unpleasant and they were hindrance to the normal social life of the club. 
Some members insisted upon life-saving as their primary purpose and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. They were finally voted down and told that if they wanted to save lives of all the various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, they would have to begin their own life-saving station down the coast. And so they did. As the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old. Evolved into a club, and yet all our life-saving station was founded. History continued to repeat itself. And if you visit the seacoast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along the shore. Shipwrecks are frequent in those waters, but most of the people drown. Our attitude of heart this morning. That's where we compromise. Folks, what breaks your heart this morning? Is it your family is not saved? Is it your friends is not saved? That's easy. What about the people that are hard to love? We all have them. Ha, I have them. Boy, I have them. They're hard to love. They're hard to pray for. But it breaks God's heart for them. He sent his son to die for them. What breaks your heart this morning? What are we compromising on? Don't compromise on the finished work of Calvary. Jesus didn't compromise. And so the remedy is to bring yourself back to Calvary to the moment you were saved and live a spirit-filled life. Remember, your company you keep, how you walk. When we were in the gym, uh, my staff were fed up hearing me say this. That our testimony should be believed among them. Not just by talking to them, but by how we lived our life. And they seen us day in and day out. Is your testimony believed among the people you work with, among your family, among your neighbors, among people in the shop, the person that drives out in front of you at Tesco's? Your company. How you walk, how you live your life. And the three personal ones. Your thoughts, your time and your talents. They must all be under the control of the Holy Spirit. And then folks, then folks, that's when we see the church grow. Because we see people one for Christ. We pray for them. We love them even though they're hard to love. It's difficult. But you're not raptured. So there's work for you to be done. I'm just going to close in a word of prayer.